This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, March 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor extends school closings into April, what it means for teachers, students, and testing. Then a conversation with Congressman Benny Thompson about the federal response to the coronavirus. Plus, a coalition of civil rights groups is demanding Republican Governor Tate Reeves do more to protect incarcerated men and women from exposure to the coronavirus. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Public schools will remain closed in Mississippi until April 17th to curb the spread of the coronavirus. Governor Tate Reeves announced the closures at a state board of education meeting on Thursday and recommended the board waive requirements regarding attendance and state testing. Now is a time for us to understand, however, the seriousness of COVID-19. I will be signing an executive order which closes all public schools until April the 17th. That will give us a four-week period to evaluate further effects of this particular virus. I will tell you, this is not a decision that I take lightly. In fact, in my nearly 17 years of serving the public, it is perhaps the hardest decision I've ever had to make. I made this decision because I believe it's in the best interest of all of our fellow Mississippians. I have talked to education officials around our state and they're already being innovative in finding ways to ensure that our kids are continuing to learn during this school closure. I know our teachers and our administrators will step up in these challenging times. I also want you to know that during this time I will also relax end of year testing requirements as well as accountability measures. I will give maximum flexibility to the Mississippi State Board of Education to ensure that they can waive any rules or regulations that they have in place that make it harder for our kids to learn over the next next several days and weeks and months. In addition to that, I want you to know that school districts will get paid their formula money in a timely manner to ensure that there is no disruption of cash flow for our districts. And maybe even more importantly, I want to ensure you that regardless of the decisions that are made at the local level to ensure that students are learning, our teachers will get paid their annual salary on time as we expect. Governor Reeves remains self-quarantined since his return from Spain last weekend, even though he and his family don't show any symptoms. The State Board of Education has voted to suspend state testing for this school year and has requested a waiver from the federal government to exempt those requirements. State Superintendent Dr. Carrie Wright explains. Uh, The board did vote today to suspend all federal and state assessments uh, for this school year and then to submit a waiver, which is required, uh, to the United States Department of Education uh, to exempt 
uh, applicable federal requirements. Uh, and also, uh, in doing that, uh, the board also um, <clears throat> waived uh, the accountability measures for the school year as well, and that means that districts will retain the accountability grade for 2021 that they received in 1920. Dr. Wright also urged parents to stay at home with school-age children to help develop routines to keep students engaged during school closures. But I think every child wants a schedule, and uh, but that there's got to be time off in, in the parts of the day for children to simply go play or to do something that uh, brings them pleasure. So I would definitely um, structure the day for them, uh, if, if it's a nine to three day or whatever that might look like, um, to include obviously time for lunch and, and all that that entails. But uh, I, I would rec- highly recommend that it, as much as you can to provide structure to the day. Dr. Carrie Wright is the state superintendent of education. Mississippi Public Broadcasting's education department is providing resources to teachers tasked with modified online instruction, as well as parents turned teachers at home with school-aged children. Tara Wren is director of education at MPB. She tells our Michael Guidry how MPB can help teachers and parents during this peculiar time. So MPB Education and MPB Television have worked together to put together a schedule to change daytime television programming for children K through 12 beginning Monday, March 23rd from 8 o'clock to 4 o'clock. So how that will pan out is the first part of the day will be for younger learners, the second part of the day, midday for middle school, high school, and then from 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock, we're going to focus on Mississippi content. Will you be pulling from PBS programming as well as MPB original programming, a mixture of all of it? Absolutely. It would definitely be a mixture of all of it. Um, Some of our PBS programming that's already running on on television, we'll just kind of shake it up a little bit, do grade H specific type programming. That way it ties into a group at that particular time of the day. So, And the Mississippi content, that's just across the board. You have some history in there, some science in there. So there are just different things with the Mississippi content. And then there's always PBS Kids. Always PBS Kids. PBS Kids 24-7 is on our dot two on our, on MPB television. So that's always on 24 hours a day. The education department's, I guess, outreach and, and availability for during this, this weird time of school closures extends beyond just the television. Um, there's also the PBS Learning Media that being a PBS member station we have access to. Tell us a little bit more about PBS Learning Media. Well, PBS Learning Media has been around for more than 20 years with PBS. MPB brings that to Mississippi where our teachers, it's an online distance learning database, library with thousands of interactive lessons, videos, games, documents, links. And our teachers can use it to create lesson plans for their students. Those teachers who are already using Google Classroom, it integrates very well with Google Classroom. All they have to do is go and sign up for an account, and they can import their roster and start sending out lessons to their classes. So PBS Learning Media is a great tool for teachers to use. It's easy to use. It's aligned with state and national standards, and it's just super easy to use, and I think students and teachers will engage very well with it. And in addition to that, we also have uh, MPB at Home, 
What's MPB at Home? MPB at Home is a new web page that we will be launching. We are currently working on it. It will have all sorts of resources for educators, parents, and students. And we will be constantly updating it as we go through this trying time for Mississippi and our students and teachers. For parents who are, who are at home, um, and this is new for them, trying to educate their kids and work and everything, how can you ensure them that the content that they're going to get through PBS and through MPB uh, will help them and their, and their kids as we eventually move out of this and to back into regular instruction? So the PBS programming that we have on air already and that we, lo- we run every day, plus the, the ones that we're going to start on Monday, plus what's on the 24-7, those programs are already aligned to state national standards and teaches everything from STEM lessons to social-emotional. So it's, they're, they're great program programming that's already aligned. We're also working with MDE, how we might best assist them during this time so that we can make sure that our children are continuing to learn while they're out of school during this time. So if you want more information about any of the education products or services or the support that the MPB education team can give, you can call us at 601-432-6565, or you can send us an email at education at mpbonline.org. Tara Wren is the Director of Education here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Tara, thank you, and I know that's going to help a lot of parents out. Coming up, a conversation with Congressman Benny Thompson about the federal response to the coronavirus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The federal government is ramping up its response to assist vulnerable Americans as the economy slows during the period of social distancing required to flatten the curve of coronavirus transmission. Earlier this month, Congress passed a supplemental budget request to provide more funding to federal response agencies. This week, they passed the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Democrat Congressman Benny Thompson joins our Michael Guidry to discuss the legislation and how the federal government is handling the threat. It will address some of the business shortfalls that might come uh, because of this so-called shutdown and addressing the virus situation uh, in that the Small Business Administration will make loans available. It will have individuals who perhaps will be laid off, will be qualified for unemployment uh, benefits in a shorter time frame than under normal circumstances. Uh, those individuals who have children who will uh, be at home over the next few weeks, uh, we will now provide through the United States Department of Agriculture and local school districts the ability to provide uh, breakfasts and lunches uh, for many of those families who had those meals served at school. So there are a number of things uh, in the pipeline. Uh, as you know, uh, 
that's the first, uh, well, actually the second iteration uh, of resources. There is a third uh, contemplation of resources because this is an ever-evolving uh, situation. And so we have to be flexible uh, for the public. Uh, we've not been in this kind of situation uh, for this length of time uh, in recent memory. So uh, we're kind of taking it day by day and seeing what situations need to be addressed. The tone from the White House uh, about this threat has shifted significantly and I think noticeably over the last two weeks. You're a chair of the Committee of Homeland Security. Was the initial response to this threat good enough? Could we have done more? Well, there's no question about it. The record reflects uh, for about seven weeks, uh, the president and many of his uh, uh, people in charge uh, saw this uh, as a, a democratic hoax, uh, something perpetrated by the media, uh, and we did not give the time and attention necessary uh, to to address it. Now, uh, here we are in the middle of a major pandemic, uh, and we're still chasing the pandemic, trying to get our arms around it because we were not prepared. Many of the individuals who would have been tasked with providing the planning and resources, those departments had been cut out by the Trump administration. Uh, so there was nobody home to address what we are dealing with right now. So the curve that you hear quite often is still very steep because we got to the event too late. Uh, too late meaning not enough test kits. Too late meaning not enough protective gear too late means not enough ventilators available. Uh, an operation that would have been fully funded uh, in the past would have taken into consideration all of these and been able to address it. So uh, the good thing about Americans, even when people uh, uh, make uh, bad judgments, we still rally around trying to address the problems. With regards to testing, why didn't the federal government, and I mean, you can clear up whether this was an executive decision or something that the legislative branch could have done, but why not utilize the World Health Organization's test when they were readily available? Well, again, uh, it was an executive decision made by the White House uh, not to accept the offer that was made. Uh, in a situation like this, where you have China, Italy, a number of other countries who have uh, taken advantage of this opportunity so that you could increase uh, the number of tests. Uh, you know, you can't be the arrogant American uh, and, and, and not uh, uh, miss the opportunity, uh, well, uh, miss the opportunity, per se, of taking advantage of tests that are readily available. And so uh, right now we have some, uh, as of my last count, some 25,000 tests available and a, in the public sector and over a million available uh, in the private sector with the private labs. But this is a 
public uh, responsibility that because this administration made decisions to cut uh, the operation that normally would be planning for this event in terms of resources, but more importantly, when help was offered, it was turned down. It was not a good decision uh, on behalf of the people of, of this country not to accept the World Health Organization's uh, offer. And ultimately, uh, uh, because uh, of that decision, unfortunately, uh, more people will die. I'm sure you're aware by now the Mississippi legislature has decided to suspend uh, for a short while uh, out of concern, health concerns. Do the American people, Mississippians in particular, have to worry about the federal government shutting down or suspending actions in the middle of this when the people's business is, is a top priority right now? Well, I think uh, FEMA becomes a, a primary participant in responding to the needs of uh, state and local. Uh, they respond uh, routinely to disasters. However, most of those disasters historically have been individual communities or states or regions of the country. Uh, this nationwide uh, disaster response uh, requires a, a robust ability uh, to help. Representative Benny Thompson, gentleman from Bolton, representing Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District. Thank you so much, Congressman. Thank you for having me. Congressman Michael Guest, a Republican from Brandon, serving Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District, joined Representative Thompson in voting for the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Republican Representative Trent Kelly and Stephen Palazzo were not present for the House vote. Senators Roger Wicker and Cindy Hyde-Smith voted to pass the measure in the Senate. MPB News reached out to the offices of Congressman Kelly and Palazzo for comment. Colleen Kennedy, a spokesperson for Representative Palazzo, informed MPB News the congressman who supported the earlier supplemental budget request was in his district for the primary race last week. She said in a written statement, out of an abundance of caution, the congressman chose to stay home, to continue being the primary caretaker of his elderly parents, and to be in South Mississippi during this time. The congressman will be entering his yay vote into the congressional record when the House reconvenes. After seeing two members in the House test positive, we believe this was ultimately the right decision. Representative Kelly's office did not respond to the request for comment. Coming up, a coalition of civil rights groups is demanding Republican Governor Tate Reeves do more to protect incarcerated men and women from exposure to the coronavirus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. As the coronavirus continues to spread, a coalition of civil rights groups are demanding the governors of Louisiana, Florida, and Mississippi do more to protect incarcerated men and women from exposure. MPB's Ashley Norwood reports. Eight groups signed off on a six-page letter to Republican Governor Tate Reeves. They are urging him to immediately develop plans for the prevention and management of the coronavirus or COVID-19 in Mississippi's prisons, jails, and detention facilities. 
Leah Campbell is with the Mississippi Prison Reform Coalition. She says she doesn't believe prisons in Mississippi are prepared to handle a virus outbreak. We all know here in Mississippi that our prison system is already in a state of crisis, and the capacity for preventing and managing contagious illness is already very, very limited because of staffing issues and unsanitary conditions. The incarcerated men and women and their loved ones that we are in contact with are extremely concerned. Since late December, at least 28 inmates have died in custody, some as a result of inmate-on-inmate violence and others reported as suicide or by natural causes. The Federal Justice Department recently opened a civil rights investigation over conditions in state-run prisons. Cliff Johnson is director of the Mississippi Office of the MacArthur Justice Center. He says he's concerned because incarcerated men and women are forced to live in vulnerable conditions. If we see an outbreak rip through one of our jails or prisons, we're going to have a a lot of correctional officers who are going to have to be quarantined or treated for the virus. We could have a situation where we don't have enough people to look after the people in jail because of exposure. In addition to the potential for filling up limited ICU beds and and respirators with dozens of inmates from a single jail or prison. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is recommending all individuals avoid gathering with 10 or more people and keep at least six feet away from others to prevent spread. That's a recommendation proven to be more difficult for individuals behind bars. Johnson of the MacArthur Center says sheriffs and judges should collaborate and consider releasing people who are waiting for trial on nonviolent crimes. People who can afford to post bail are released from jail, but Johnson says people who can't afford bail are sitting in jail. We have long periods of delays in getting indictments and getting to trial. So many of those people, those poor people, find themselves locked up for up to two years or more waiting for their day in court. So when you talk about who's being exposed to the risk of coronavirus in our county jails today, by and large, it's poor people who are stuck there because they didn't have the kind of money judges said they had to pay in order to get out of jail. According to a new report released by the Justice Center, in May 2019, about 2,500 people had been jailed longer than 90 days, and more than 575 people had been jailed for more than a year awaiting trial. Johnson also wants law enforcement to limit arrests for misdemeanors and small crimes because he says bringing individuals in and out of local jails could increase the risk of exposure. On a Facebook Live video this week, Reeves says one of the precautions enforced by the Department of Corrections is to strictly limit inmate visitation to attorneys and essential visitors only. One of the things that we want to make sure doesn't happen is that someone that has the virus actually visit someone that then gives the virus to them. We also uh, decided to curtail the transfer of inmates from one facility to another. Uh, In addition to that, we have also upped our amount of cleaning and how often that we are doing sanitation exercises at, at those particular facilities. In a statement, the governor's spokesperson added that the department is following CDC guidelines, taking staff temperatures each day and increasing the amount of hand sanitizers throughout the facilities. Although Reeves says these precautions are proving to work well in state prisons, some advocates say it isn't enough.
Benjamin Salk is a senior supervising attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center in Mississippi. He says a more effective step is to release those who are at higher risks of contracting the virus and suffering serious complications from it. A lot of people in our prisons are elderly. They've been in prison for years or decades or have serious chronic health conditions. These are people who don't pose any serious risk to the public. If those folks can get out of the system, they can go home, they can make sure they're limiting their social contact. And from the system, it removes the need for officials to worry about treating these people. Civil rights advocates say they realize the demand to release some hundreds of incarcerated men and women may be extraordinary. But, they say, it will take extraordinary steps to protect all Mississippians from the potential dangerous outcomes of a coronavirus outbreak in prisons. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. To stay current on the latest developments on the coronavirus in Mississippi, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.